Welcome back, nerds. It's me, Tony Sindelar, here for another session of Batman University. Uh, today, we are going to continue looking at some of the great episodes from Batman the Animated Series. I know we did a lot of episodes this season looking at other animated Batman things, but, you know, we had to get a couple uh, great Batman Animated Series episodes in there because, uh, you know, you got to go back to your roots. So joining me uh, today from the internet... Uh, He's done so many things, I'm not entirely sure how to introduce him anymore. <laughs> it changes every week depending on, you know, which um, which which power broker he started to fight with, or what Kickstarter he's running, what podcast he's been on. Uh, it's I'm just going to introduce him as the Internet's Glenn Fleischman. That, that's what, I, you know, thank you, Tony. When I meet people, I say, I'm Glenn F. from the Internet. And they go, oh, it's really kind of amusing. Um, yeah, I have fights with Eric Trump, but I'm also a uh, typesetting uh, and printing a book on a letterpress. So that's kind of all you need to know about me. It's, yeah, um, it's the, the full range of life. Full, full Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> full Glenn. Um, and, and likely mi listeners of Batman University will recognize Glenn from his many appearances uh, across the incomparable network shows uh, where Glenn has many great stories to tell. Uh, so, Glenn, we are going to talk about uh, the classic episode, Beware the Grey Ghost, which is an early... Batman the Enemy Series episode, which is uh, a, a great pick. I was very excited when you picked this. Uh, mm -hmm. But before we uh, we jump into that, we should uh, we should take a step back and talk about uh, you and you know your history with uh, Batman slash Batman the Enemy Series because I don't. You and I have talked about many many things over the years, Glenn. Many things, but I don't think we ever talked about Batman. And now is the time. <laughs> so. Well, my gosh, this is the moment I've been waiting for for a long long time. Uh, well, I have a. I want to say I feel like I have a long, um, long Batman history. I was a comic book reader as a child, and I'm now a thousand years old. So that was in the uh, early '70s. Uh, I collected. Uh, I wouldn't say I collected comics. I bought comics. I didn't never. I bagged them in crappy bags, and I was never one of those people who actually tried to keep them pristine. I read comics, and I ran through them, and they got broken up and whatever. And I was kind of more of a DC comics fan. I was a big Superman reader. Uh, I've um, certainly read Batman and uh, I had the advantage that the, um, you know, I had a lot of access to public libraries and um, there were a lot of public libraries had huge collections of old comics. So I was reading Crazy Cat and uh, Rube Goldberg's collection, mm -hmm. you know, we just had a Rube Goldberg retrospective, uh, uh, retrospective, but like a kind of a giant exhibit pass through and Rube Goldberg not only invented the notion of the Rube Goldberg machine, but was also a um, terrific cartoonist. He had a strip called Boob McNutt, of course, and um, which is one of my favorite things. And um, anyway, so I would go through and I, I would either be in the library, get out these giant collections. And so I read really old, early Batman uh, that was in giant, you know, uh, books that people weren't checking out for reason uh, and was collecting contemporaneously. Uh, but like I say, I was never, I don't want to say I was not a Batman fan, but I don't think I sought him out the way I did um, the more conventional like Flash uh, and Superman and, and those kinds of superheroes. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't until I was a little older that I started to read, say, X-Men and Marvel and um, and then, you know, into Flaming Carrot and uh, alternative cartoons. But uh, but so I've got a long, I've got a long Batman, Batman history, Batman backstory. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen him through his many incarnations and uh, uh, enjoyed uh, – um, I'm trying to think of the era that I was really reading it most. So it was in the 70s. I don't know what kind of Batman he was then. I think sort of gritty, but also had more empathy than later Batmans and maybe earlier ones. I believe that. And we are talking about an era of comics that, uh, spoiler, I was not alive for. Um, what? Sorry. Um, so uh, I believe that that version of Batman was relatively kind of gritty. There was kind of a reaction to the 60s Batman. And I think that specifically the 70s Batman may have even like 
like killed people with a gun and stuff um or or, or something I, I i i am not speaking from any firsthand experience but simply stories that people have told me so uh yeah i think there was a at least somewhere in the 70s a relatively violent uh batman uh, before you know Frank Miller would show up and make really violent Batman. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah, it was more. I want to say there's a lot of conceptual comics. I remember him, um, like there was some kind of secret society that he and Robin had to infiltrate, and they had like sub vocalized mics. I remember this one episode, and I I'm sure I could find it if I spotted it. It was this beautiful thing where Batman shows up. I think in. You know, like in Spain or Mexico, and he finds these people who are not sort of immortal, and they're and there's this thing where he's getting captured. They lights this field on fire, and the flowers burn, and the couple who are immortal are running, and the he, the husband is they're like decaying as they run. It was this beautiful, wow. gorgeous um, thing, and very much this like almost a fairy tale kind of horror story. Um, so I, I remember that kind of thing. I think that may have been. I'm not sure if I was reading that in a collection or that was contemporary but um there was a lot of experimentation i think mm-hmm. around around batman oh here it is it's the yeah, yeah it's uh uh the sibyls was the um episode uh 1970 so this is i must be reading uh, old one detective comics number 395 mexican couple so i this is before uh i was reading collections in before mm-hmm. i was buying old comics we had a great comic book store in eugene oregon when i was growing up when i was a teenager the guy who ran the store bought one of the rare copies of Superman Action Comics number one, and he let us look at it. I went to the store, and he had it in a briefcase, and he pulled it out, and he just spent, you know, I don't know, 25 grand for it, like a laughably small number by today's standards, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he pulled it out, let us see it, you know, some wrapper or whatever, but... That used to be, I feel like uh, that used to be one of the main criteria for, like, the quality of comic stores was, uh, <laughs> you know, which... Uh, ridiculously expensive uh, old, old classic comics that they have on hand, uh, which I always thought was kind of a weird criteria for a, for a store because I, I just assumed just due to the cost of those items, like they probably don't change hands a ton. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was always a strange metric by which to, to measure a, a retail operation. But that I feel like that was a big thing. At least, uh, at least like teenagers would talk about in terms of what oh, whether yeah. a comic book store was good or not was which fancy comics that you couldn't actually read did they have like in a display. That's true, and and there was also I mean this is a time when comics were actually like you could get old comics. This is one of those if you had a time machine thing, what would you do? First, you kill Hitler, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's mixed theories about that, uh, but then. <laughs> But then you tell yourself, you go, you, you'd go Biff, uh, what's his face from uh, Back to the Future and say, mm-hmm. invest in comics. I mean, because there were so many, if I had been a serious comics collector in my teenage years and had done like the Mark Hamill uh, uh, episode of, um, what is it, Fantastic Stories, one of those, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know where he plays the collector? You are young. You're uh, a yeah, young man. Sorry, I wasn't going to say there's anything. A, I was going to remind actor, you that you were, you were again referring to media that... Um, <laughs> There's an episode of an old TV show where um, it was like a Fantastic Stories thing where uh, this character played by Mark Hamill um, gets uh, – not Mark. Yeah, Mark Hamill gets visited by some weird elf who tells him to keep all his stuff forever. And then the punchline is that the guy becomes an old man and it's all really valuable, but he's wasted his life. But it's not a mm-hmm. horror story for some reason. Anyway, if I as a teenager had actually uh, – Use my limited funds to buy comics that were rare then, but within my means, and kept them perfectly. I would be retired now because the valuation went out, you know, kind of off the uh, off the charts. But so. only only for very specific comics is the trick, yeah, right? Because that is that's the yeah. whole that's the thing, you know. If if 
if, if if Anthony Johnston was here, he would point out that you know, or 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 Moises that you know, the average comic loses value over time uh, because there's so many of them. But there's there are certain ones that have skyrocketed in value. And you, oh yeah, so, and you actually had some of those as a child. Well, I certainly could have afforded. Gotcha. They weren't like had, they, they weren't, weren't like ten thousand dollars. They were yeah. like fifteen dollars. And sometimes I look back. I, I had some rare X Men comics that at the time when um, I actually purchased them at retail. Someone bought some of them later from me, and uh, I think they're actually worth kind of a small fortune now—not like a million dollars, but like mm-hmm. you know, maybe it would have been some thousands. The the guy who ran the comic book store at Action Comics Number One, like I say, I think he bought it for a really small amount of money. So, um, you know, he would be like seventy today or something. But <laughs> I hope that he kept it long enough that it you know went to its multi-million-dollar value, and then it's like that's he would make more money from that one comic than uh, having run the store for mm-hmm. his whole life. I I think I was always kind of I I was as a young teenager slash before being a teenager definitely kind of uh bought into that ideas uh it, and definitely i i kept a lot of my comics on you know in bags and boarded uh, and i had i had a lot of star wars action figures that were still in their uh boxes or in their packaging which was actually stupid because i'm younger and the star wars action <laughs> figures that i was buying was the like oh. re-release kenner's action kenner action right. figures in like the early 90s that were wildly mass-produced and like i should have either just not bought them or taken them out of the thing and enjoyed them because they, they're not worth anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and like, I probably have some magic cards that are worth some money, but nowhere near the amount of money that I spent, you know, in the four years when I was a teenager, I spent all the money I had on magic cards. So, you know, um, yeah, you can't play the collecting game. The collecting no. game is like playing the stock market, but then you, it's, it's, you know, we don't think favorably about stock certificate number one, three, seven, five, two, but you do think, you know, Hey, that issue, that first issue of all out war, mm-hmm. gosh, I own that. If only I could get that, that Amazon stock where uh, Wolverine first appeared. I'd be really, I'd be all yeah. set. So yeah. <laughs> Everything is our Madeline. Um, so well, that's my comic book, but yeah. So now the Batman animated series, is this something that you watched uh, in the, in the early nineties when it was airing or something you discovered later in, 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 in your life? Yes. I apparently, um, what's funny is I'm looking at the air dates of the show and I'm like, man, I had a lot of time back then because <laughs> I <laughs> didn't, we all, um, I have children now, but even, even, uh, with children, um, I watched the show. I recall watching it when it, uh, debuted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was living, gosh, I may have been living in Maine at the time. That's when I had all the time. Uh, and I had various jobs, but I, my recollection is that it was not that hard to watch so i don't remember when it was originally was it aired on like saturday mornings or was it aired as an afternoon it show? was aired, i i recall watching I it, was, it as an afternoon show uh and i think it was on like like four or five o'clock or something like that on fox because i recall watching it like after school every day in like i would have been in like junior high around then um and just yeah i, I recall like watching that and then watching uh reruns of star trek the next generation while doing my homework and like that was my life for like several years, and that was that was like that was a high point uh, in my. Yeah, otherwise. it's all gone downhill for me since yeah. then too. It's uh, yeah, you know. I, I think I I'm I have that same recollection of the Next Generation reruns too. Mm-hmm. I think um, yeah. So I, I my my recollection is I don't know how often it was rerun. I mean, you know, they did do more rerunning obviously in the days when there was programmed TV, mm-hmm. um, and maybe I was possible I had a DV or a, a DV. VHS player that I set and recorded it and oh, watched it later. Yeah. I have no re- specific recollection of it, but I know I did that sometimes, so I may have time shifted. <gasps> that was a real, that was fancy back in, in 1994. Um, if you so. could get the clock set and recorded at a time, holy cow. 
Um, but yeah, so I remember watching this. I, I uh, looking at the episode list. I don't think I watched the full run, but I watched a significant number. And I remember because I was I was a big cartoon watcher at the time. I was in my uh, you know early twenties and um, was still a comics fan, a cartoon fan. And there was a lot of interesting stuff being aired. And I remember this show coming on and wondering how you know is that how did this get made? This is such a thoughtful, quiet, spare, beautiful, um, dark palette production. How, you know, I'm watching it and thinking it's impossible something this good is being made for television. And and yes, the scripts are sometimes a little, and now insipid is too strong. It's like they're so stripped down, they're almost meant for a non, like a non-literate, non-English speaking or any speaking uh, audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, an, but it's, an, a, there's like such amazing restraint. I remember watching once with some scene and someone's like walking on the dock and I thought, wow allowing it to be silent. They're allowing there to be no sound during a cartoon. This is amazing. And and I think that's kind of emblematic of the show is that it, um, it was felt completely unlike, I mean, in contrast, I think Freakazoid was on the air at the same time. In, in a similar like, time. I, that was a really good era close. as far as I'm concerned <laughs> for, for, uh, for cartoons. So, cause uh, they're, they're, I don't know that, some of it's just but, what age I was at that time, but there were a lot of really great cartoons airing right around then. Um, oh yeah, but the you know, I was a few years later, but it was mm-hmm. still it was like some of the most frenetic stuff yes. that was was being made at the same time as you had something like this that was absolutely like stark. And I yes. thought it was so much more like a noir comic book, and they would made it. So I I love the series. I remember watching it very fondly. I remember some. Uh, there's some episodes I probably have not watched now for 25 years. I should probably like rewatch the show. Hey, that's an idea. Because uh, it's available in various places. I can mm-hmm. just watch it. Uh, but there's episodes I remember very distinctly. I remember the introduction of Harley Quinn because she was introduced on the show, was not a you know, character. And I remember thinking, what a terrific, hilarious you know character they've created. Um, and I wish I would see more of her. I'm sure I thought, and now I regret that. But yeah. The, I, world, the world has caught up with you. So I, I'm sorry. But I liked the... Bruce Timms, Harley Quinn, and I also um, – Bruce Timms, Harley Quinn. Yeah, I liked that Harley Quinn, and I also like Harley Quinn when there's no Joker involved, just yes. to clarify, but mm-hmm. otherwise. So uh, let's uh, let's jump into the episode that we watched. Yeah. Uh, so we watched uh, Beware the Grey Ghost, uh, which, as I mentioned, it's an early – it's like the 18th episode uh, from Batman the Animated Series, so pretty early on. Um, and this is a great episode. And I, I was, as I was watching it, I was kind of feeling bad that I had not included this on my list uh, when we made Jason Snell watch a bunch of episodes of these, and because he might have particularly enjoyed this one. Um, this episode is probably kind of most famous for the fact that it includes uh, Adam West playing a somewhat Adam West-like character, or you know, maybe if Adam West was much more down on his luck. Uh, and I, I will, I, I will admit, like. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the, uh, I'm not, I guess I'm, I'm not really any kind of fan of the, uh, the 1960s live action Batman. Um, and it, you know, it's, that was before my, I think even the, that being a popular series in reruns was a little bit before my time. So like his yeah, it was role too in, campy. Yeah. It was too campy even for the 1980s. That's how campy <laughs> it was. Uh, so he, I, I watched it and liked it, but I wasn't, I, it was amusing as a child is yes. my reaction. Yeah. So, but I don't. I, I I feel bad that I don't have any uh, particular nostalgia for Adam West. Whereas I think for a lot of people, like for for a lot of people, Adam West is their Batman, or at least like that is a, a very uh, you know that was a major introduction to Batman for them, and Listen, maybe even their favorite, I, right? Adam's West's best role was as the principal in the Adventures of Pete and Pete. I think <laughs> I can't be contradicted on that. So, okay. 
I love the casting in Pete and Pete where they have all these things that are like, like Iggy Pop Iggy and Sid Straw. <laughs> not, you know, all of these kind of stunt casting things that are like, who is this show for? I love that show. We'll do a separate Side, podcast on that. Sidebar, I talked about doing a Pete and Pete cast with someone once, but it didn't come off the ground. I just, I love that show. It's so weird. Maybe we'll do that. There we go. We just have a podcast spin off, everyone. <laughs> Pete and Pete cast. Uh, okay, so let's uh, like let's jump into this yeah. episode and kind of go through it uh, section by section. Um, the uh, the this episode uh, starts with a flashback, which is relatively unusual yeah. in, in Batman the animated series, where we see like kid Bruce Wayne, uh, which I'm I'm I was trying to remember if we there are a couple other times where we see flashbacks to like his life uh, training, but this certainly in terms of it is a flashback to before his parents are murdered and to like happy times. <laughs> Yeah, I think is pretty unusual in the series. Um, it's also yeah, you know, we usually see him in Crime Alley. You know, that's yeah. like the yeah. like, that's the flashback. Like, nope, this is his parents are actually alive, and they're in their their uh, you know stately Wayne Mansion, and uh, it's great. Yeah, and he's watching his favorite show, which is the Grey Ghost from the, the Tyholey episode, which uh, seems to be very kind of inspired by like pulp heroes things, right? Like uh, like the shadow, maybe the spirit. Um, characters like that um and and basically the suggestion of this episode which is totally carried through in other later uh batman animated things is that the gray ghost is like his inspiration to become batman or at least his inspiration for what a costume superhero would look like um so in the kind of flashback batman or young bruce wayne is watching uh, an episode of the gray ghost and falls asleep kind of like in the middle of the episode his dad carries him to to to, uh, to bed and then in the present day in Gotham, uh, things that are eerily similar to the episode uh, of the Grey Ghost uh, that, that Bruce Wayne was, was watching are happening in terms of a mad bomber bombing uh, buildings throughout the city and leaving ransom notes demanding. Wait, is it money. the mad bomber what bombs at midnight? No, it's, it's second. just the mad bomber. Cross, this is a crossover our, episode. I know. This That's is our right. second mad bombing dis- discussion <laughs> I was of, say, the bad, of the month. Bad so. I, I gotta say, I just love the mise en scene. I don't know if you call that. You call cartoonists have mise en scene. I don't know, I think but the so. that incredible like Art Deco sweeping architecture design with those great pastel. Like mm-hmm. I forget it's a. I mean the flashbacks are in black and white. I forget the show is in color sometimes in the present because it's used because, pretty sparingly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just so great. It's like you have all these colors and they don't use them all. It's fantastic. But just those, um, you know, the buildings are just these incredible Fritz Lang marvels and then i also love that you know the explosions are so big right there's these aren't like a bomb goes off and an entrance is blocked or part of a building it's like no these things completely like you know uh uh, these are building imploding explosions because they don't go small everything is drawn in giant big amazing strokes yeah it's it's huge city blocks are leveled it's not Mm -hmm. you know it's not a minor thing um so, th- so this is basically this crime that, that Batman is now investigating. Uh, I like that kind of uh, Alfred is kind of a little bit more present as a as a helper in this episode. Oh yeah. Um, I also like there are several uh, moments in this episode where you can tell that like the you know the time era that Batman is set in is always a little confusing um, because it's kind of 1940s is but kind of not. Uh, but I just like that this episode was clearly made in the early 90s before a variety of technologies would exist oh, yes, because there are right. major major <laughs> elements of the plot that like are totally unnecessary if you had like 
if you could go to the library and look something up or, you know, or if you had access to the, to Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, Although very relevant about yes. like, um, you know, the video availability. Well, this guy, I've got every video you could ever want. The guy's is sucking a giant soda, <laughs> except of course, you know, the licensing never worked out for the show, obviously. So, uh, you know, that's why in this, it's between like availability windows and why can I get that on DVD and whatever. I thought that actually felt pretty con- contemporary. Yeah. I was reminded of like the, the lost Doctor Who episodes and, and oh yeah thing other things that have kind of fallen away, um, but I so I get the the uh, the depiction of the video clerk is based on um, one of the creators of the Batman animated series. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. So that's that's, uh, that's Paul Dini, sort of. Um, oh, that's that's yeah. amusing. Um, um, so not not a particularly flattering depiction, but um, no, he, he allows but, it apparently. But I like I not, you know I was reminded while watching this of like of you know going places with my parents in like you know that the 80s and early 90s where like you would like going and doing stuff was a production because you wouldn't know what places were going to have and you couldn't you know you, you there what you couldn't look stuff up on the internet and get things delivered to you so you'd go to the library and ask a question and, and wait to get information given to you so yeah to get a tape of the show you go to the giant video warehouse and find out that like no nobody has a tape well um, or the just even the phone directory thing yeah I, I honestly this is an interesting thing about how you your brain retcons things like i forget that we had a use you know, phone directories. And mm-hmm. I'm watching him do that. I'm like, why couldn't he? No, couldn't he? Wasn't there? No, this is really, there's nobody. Call, I mean, he could call and then somebody else would look it up in a book for him, but mm-hmm. they would have more books. But um, yeah, it was an interesting information retrieval issue. Yeah. So we have the kind of research segment where it's both <laughs> the the episodes are totally out of print. Oh my God. You're right. And such, five the, minutes on that. Yeah. And, and like, this is like the setup of the plot, right? And that yeah. the actor who used to play the Grey Ghosts is alive and is living in Gotham and they find his name because apparently that's not like an easily known thing either, but they have to go. They're literally at like the screen actors guild, like, you know, data repository building, uh, flipping through books. Um, so yeah, I don't think I thought about how much this was like a a research project. The first few minutes are just like Batman. He doesn't have his bat pewter. He's just like Mm -hmm. going through all this stuff by hand to find things. That's very funny. Yeah, and and it is it is Bruce Wayne doing it with Alfred, right. uh, which is kind of kind of fun and a, a little unusual, right? Because, uh, yeah, it is not just him and because there's so many things where, like the the equivalent of this scene could have just been him clicking one thing uh, on the back computer and they would have that information. Uh, right. But but no, they they kind of draw that out. Um, so we uh, I think at this point we are then introduced to the actor uh, Simon Trent, who is voiced by uh, Adam West, and we see his life. And it's, uh, he's living in a horrible kind of sad seedy apartment. Uh, he's getting yelled at by his landlord for not paying rent on the sad seedy apartment. And at the same time, uh, getting a call from his agent, letting him know that he's not getting any part. And in kind of a, you know, Bob, as you know, Bob, the agent reminds him that he's been horribly typecast as the gray ghost. Um, even though no one even though has the seen the show. Print. Yes. Yeah. It's been like 40 years since the show was on or 30 years. No one remembers it. No one's seen it. And yet. Still all the casting cast. agents. Um, and he, I got a little of a, you remember that uh, the movie that was made, um, the silent movie a few years ago called The Artist. I got a tiny bit of vibe, that vibe from that, where the guy winds up, you know, uh, because of uh, talkies coming out, being in that, uh, or not talkies, he, he uh, I forget what the plot was, why he gets uh, fired off his film. But anyway, it's that little bit of being in an apartment and, and the despair of not being able to get a part and so forth. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I wondered a little bit again because I'm not super familiar with Adam West's career. I'm assuming that he 
had to struggle with that a little bit uh, after Batman. Uh, but I mean, as far as I can tell, totally overcame that and was, you know, enjoyed a lot of success was, and work later. Um, it was but, more of a Burt Ward problem. Oh, I okay. Think. I think Burt Ward had a really hard time and maybe some personal problems. I, I'm saying that and I'm trying to remember what it was, but I think he had a much rougher career. And I think Adam West already had had a career, went into that role, I think did well with it. And then, had some period, I think, which he wasn't acting as more, and then got re, you know rediscovered um, relatively far into the past. I mean, still not really on top of, but uh, but um, I think he was just very fondly remembered. And I don't mm -hmm. think uh, well, Robin, I think, got the same got the same response. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess we we find out that he is basically hawking his Grego's memorabilia that he's got a rather large collection of in order to pay rent. Uh, and this and here, I thought like. This scene would not need to exist if they had eBay. <laughs> so um, exactly because he's taking his stuff to the, the the toy store that is literally called like Yester Toys, which I guess yes. is, a, is a toy store that uh, specializes, I guess, collectibles, uh, but non-modern toys. Memorabilia um, for TV shows you can't watch and no one remembers. Um, although what's great is right, the owner of the store uh, apparently is is too young to have been alive to see the gray ghost but he's a huge fan somehow so this is all very confusing yeah and you know i mean maybe we have to provide some liberal headcanning where uh there's ancillary gray ghost media that was created after and like maybe the, there maybe there's a gray ghost comic or a gray ghost or it was re it was rerun maybe it yeah. was shown on tv and those tapes were destroyed or right there, you know no, you're right. There's so maybe there was there was some cra there was some other stuff that there is like this fan following or and, or, and maybe it's a cult uh cult, cult kind of fandom uh even if the episodes that simon trent were in all all burned up uh yeah but yeah that's that's pretty liberal liberal headcanning there and i don't want to be too critical because i feel like this is uh, you know i should say i should have said the outset too as i feel like this episode is perfectly constructed mm -hmm. and and yet not uh it's somewhat predictable but i feel like it is just like a perfect piece of of character interaction tension release um visual and like it just it just ticks over in all these great ways so even the thing where the kid who runs the store is trying to help this old man you know there's spoilers later mm -hmm. uh, but just that interaction is actually really wonderful and human it's like i can give you some money but i can't give you much because i can't sell it and then of course where he goes back and there's all his stuff has been apparently bought by bruce wayne or, or some someone and put, yes by someone maybe alfred probably went in and did it with him, mm -hmm. something and it's all back in his apartment. So uh, which is kind of creepy, you know, that has stuck into your apartment and put all your stuff back and apparently like rebuilt the shelves and everything. Hey, you know, you know, we have somebody else who does that once a year. We call him Santa Claus. That's true. Uh, not even, Santa Claus. Glenn, not even commercially. Um, <laughs> not even first thing. Santa Claus doesn't even do carpentry, though. I'm just saying. Yeah. Batman well, he's will got rebuild your that. shelves. Um, That's so. right. Batman <laughs> will fix your broken glass. And everything. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and I, I did. I also thought it was like adding to the kind of sadness is that in his it looks I guess just like a one room studio apartment he he just sleeps in like a chair by the window um, to really yeah really ratcheted up on his old man lonely life sense uh, sadness little, um, little Galaxy Quest action going on too I guess when yeah I think about it that's right uh, though you know the it seemed like the people in Galaxy Quest had better apartments even if they were you know dead uh, dead inside. You're true. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Jason has the infinite pool, right? Yeah. I mean, he's very unhappy, but he, what a view. <laughs> so. Like Graf Dark Samurai, what a view. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
I just wanted to click a button and do a reference acknowledge there, but I can't do that in real life. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not available. Only um, sorry, sorry. Uh, and included with all the stuff, rather creepily, is a note asking uh, him to show up and meet Batman. I guess uh, somewhere. Um, which is adds to the creepiness. Like I broke into your house, returned all this stuff that you thought you sold. That so it's I've carpentry. been I've been following you. I did some light carpentry, and here's a note. Let's hang out later. <laughs> well, you put it that way, it's a little creepier. Batman, Batman. Like, let's be honest. I love Batman, but he's a weirdo, so he's not good with boundaries or yeah. understanding what would what would be a normal social convention. <laughs> Uh, look, he has he ever left a conversation at the appropriate moment? No, he leaves before it's over. So. It's also I just realized the execute. It's like here, wear this, put on the French maid outfit, <laughs> oh, put on God. the gray ghost costume, right? Uh, which apparently still fits. So good for him. Yeah, <laughs> good. He's kept in shape. He needed to be yeah. back in action. Uh, so they meet in like a dark alley in the middle, of, you know, or I guess it's, it's Gotham. They're all dark alleys, but they meet in the middle of the night, uh, under a lamp. Um, and this isn't crime alley. This is like light burglary alley or something yeah. like that. It's like a different alley. Uh, and Simon Trent, when Batman shows up, freaks out. Um, <laughs> he does. So. He, yeah. I, the person I was watching with, with with says like why why would you run from Batman and I'm like I would run from Batman Batman's scary um and you know I I, I think depending on what I, it's unclear to me how much do the people of Gotham know about Batman slash like is he I mean oh, he's I in he's in the newspapers right so he but he's still a rather intimidating uh, presence and he is kind of a vigilante who uses violence uh, so. I don't know. I don't want to get kicked in the head by Batman who thinks I'm somebody else. Um, you know, so, so Simon Trent runs away from him. Um, and it, but it turns out you, you can't run away. They, they hear that they hear the word. Oh, that's right. Trent's saying, I don't, I don't remember these old episodes. Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Um, and, and Trent runs home, uh, and another building blows up and then Batman is at his house, as, you know, because he's, of course and he's Batman. Yeah. Um, so at this point, I guess we discover that Trent, in addition to his like Grego's uh, merchandise collection, also has a complete collection of all the Grego's episodes on like sixteen millimeter film. Um, right. And again, you know the technology of the fictional era that Batman uh, represents. He he gives Batman a giant film reel. Uh, the person I'm watching with asks, like, how does Batman even carry that? He has small pockets on the utility belt, but you know. He, he tucks it under his arm and, and swoops away. I should point out those would probably be kinescopes, by the way, oh. because in that era, <laughs> in that era, they would have been using, if they used film, then they would have mm-hmm. filmed uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, kinescope. Okay. I did not, I did not even know that was a thing. So Technology. Gotcha. Uh, so they, we have a movie showing at, uh, at Wayne Manor where Alfred has to run a for Bruce Wayne, who was theoretically on the clock as Batman. Uh, and again, this was like, I felt like this is a scene that could have been in the Batcave, but we're having it as kind of this human moment uh, where it's, it's it's not in the Batcave, it's not him as Batman, it's him as Bruce Wayne. And I think that's probably significant in that you have this theme of Bruce Wayne kind of connecting with like a rare uh, childhood moment that made him happy. Oh my um, gosh, yeah. Right? And so you have all, so that was what I started to think, because you do have all the stuff where it's not... Batman showing up at the uh, 
the 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 film guy archive guys thing and demanding a tape from him and you know holding him upside down it's not <laughs> batman breaking into the the archive of actors guild and flipping through the things late at night with a flash night oh my gosh you're it's, right it's that bruce be... wayne because like this is actually yeah, yeah. a thing that makes him happy a very rare thing that makes him no happy. you're totally right because batman usually would just have broken into places over and over again to get yes. what he needed right yeah that's totally i hadn't thought about that because totally it's true. weird to see bruce wayne like investigating things right it's, yeah he's he spends a lot it's like he is batman as much as he can be batman because being bruce wayne is kind of like not really uh it seems like not really something he wants to do he is he's is bruce wayne when he has to show up at the office uh but he get when he gets home from a long day at, at wayne enterprises he uh he switches into his bat suit hangs out on a computer for an hour and then you know goes out goes out and beats people up all night um, this actually would be a great uh, i don't know if there's ever been a batman approach to that but like imagine if bruce wayne were known around um town as like the world's worst detective like he was just <laughs> terrible he was an amateur detective and he always got things wrong and batman had to set him right like that was mm-hmm. never a bruce wayne bruce wayne is always super competent super rich super suave and sort of mm-hmm. sometimes unconcerned yes. but maybe a social do-gooder but i'm like god it would have been hilarious if you were just like there are variations to the bruce wayne in terms of is he a social do-gooder or how competent yeah. he is right and then in the batman anime series he does seem to be like using his money to do good things uh, and it seems like he seems to come off as like a nice guy, whereas other versions of Bruce Wayne seem much more just a constructed act that like True. he's an idiot and, or, you know, he's asleep all the time and he's a jerk and he has money. So what can you do? Uh, and it's almost like I'm going to be this way so that no one wants to be friends with me and therefore endanger my secret identity. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the, the the animated series version of Bruce Wayne seems a little bit more... Uh, like no you know you can use money to help save the ills of gotham also but you know i don't get to drive a cool car when i'm doing that that's um, right Re- refutes that uh the cartoon the uh so master bruce shall you be donating your profits like no i'm gonna wear a tight suit and uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like this is a little bit of the now nah, maybe i'll give some money away too yeah um you know still probably could do a lot more help with all that money but uh yeah, it's possible. yeah. depends you know i i, I think about that a lot because that is the common uh complaint is like why doesn't bruce wayne just use all his money for good and i think the 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 perspective has to be whether that is a believable perspective or not is that like gotham has fundamentally like is broken in ways that like it needs a symbol uh it needs a vigilante and that no enough jobs programs and soup kitchens and uh drug rehab centers are not going to fix that you need you need a guy that beats up people in the middle of the night um that's all you know i uh, gotham's <laughs> not a real place so i'm willing to yeah. kind of buy that i would feel less good about that if that was say a city i lived in that's so right that's i right. would be like please let's 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 get some more like um drug treatment centers and, that, look and that's what would have happened to, that's what would happen to boston if the olympics had, olympics had come so you could have seen oh, that ultimate reality you, you were not living here you don't know what it was like <laughs> I, I, I know some Boston. It was that, so, was, yeah. that was a bullet we dodged. That was <laughs> oh like the God, same year so, that like so we lucky. had a, a horrible wi- uh, winter and like the trains yes. just didn't run for like a month and it was like the, the and like sixty like foot piles just, of snow. People just couldn't get to work for weeks and it was like, yeah. yep, we're totally ready to host the Olympics. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'd be great. So yeah, what could go wrong? Come on down. So that's your your Gotham is that yeah. future in which the Olympics happen. You've yeah. avoided this. It's like an episode of Star Trek. You've avoided this future now. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, so, so I'm good at getting you off topic. This is great. No, um, so yeah. I know, Glenn, I know what to expect. Uh, <laughs> and I I came along willingly. So uh, you're in the hopping hopping on the sidecar. Yep. Go riding. Call back to previous episodes. <laughs> Bruce Wayne watches the uh the episode. Uh we learn the the ending of the episode is that 
uh, the Mad Bomber in the Grey Ghost episode is using remote control cars to blow up uh, uh, buildings, and somebody is doing that in Gotham in the same exact uh, modus operandi. So I guess Batman tips off Commissioner Gordon, and they, uh, they have like a stakeout around the next target. And there's a police sniper, and Batman has a flamethrower, <laughs> which is kind of well, a, that was great. An yeah, antic where where Batman kicks open the doors to a library and jumps out and fires a flamethrower at these remote control cars. Um, which again, and here, you know, I thought like, oh, this is like the uh, the 1940s version of drones, basically. Um, again, another another way that technology has changed, and that this episode would be very different if it was made today. They'd be flying, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the the and the cars, I I don't know anything about actual explosives each of these little tiny remote control cars seems to have an incredibly powerful explosive uh built into them such that you know even when you when you shoot one or hit it with a flamethrower there is just an immense explosion uh so they basically save the building from getting blown up but it's kind of i guess it's kind of a trap because batman's chasing after cars and then there are many cars uh in an lots of cars yeah cars um and they do some pretty nice stuff to make these cars. I mean, because, again, they're just they're toy remote control cars, but they do some stuff to make them seem kind of menacing and make it not seem stupid, right? Like, there, there's some great close, like, uh, angle shots of the cars whizzing through alleys, and, uh, you know, you have this kind of – we have this shortcuts of the uh, – of some kind of mastermind controlling or at least watching the cars on a giant computer control panel, and we, we, don't, we only see them in silhouette, so we don't know. So if you had been watching very closely, you could, you'd know who it was, but they had not totally given away yet uh, who it is. And we have the kind of uh, moment where Batman is cornered in an alley and the cars are whizzing at him and somebody drops a rope for him, which he kind of climbs up slash is blown up by <laughs> explosions and gets on the rooftop and meets the Grey Ghost. Uh, Although that that building, by all rights, should have been completely destroyed yeah. by the scale of the explosions, but that's right. The explosions are as big or as small as they need to be. Like sometimes they'll level yeah, yeah. a block, sometimes they'll blow up a car that's you know Batman's running from, and sometimes they uh yeah they just they like spout fire up at you as you're trying to climb a no, rope. Um, I was I was thinking they were pretty yeah this the scale of it was the the amount of destruction that was being uh, wreaked across the city was like. Really massive, and if this episode had had realism as opposed to this kind of hyperrealism, it would be like you know a third of Gotham has been destroyed yes. by fires and and tiny cars. Um, but instead, it sort of passed off, which is okay. Which is okay again. Yeah. It's stylized. It's yeah, cool. and you know it's 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 comic book logic, right? The explosions yeah, yeah. are as as big as they need to be and no bigger. <laughs> but we have this. I I don't. I think it's probably like one of the most striking shots in this whole episode, where the gray ghost is like on the rooftop. He has just saved Batman, and he is like framed by like a red moon behind mm-hmm. him um and you know and they chat and then uh it kind of seems like maybe they're gonna part ways um but uh they basically then get into there's more cars chasing them and they jump in the batmobile which is like that's awesome yeah right? <laughs> you know yeah uh and then we have some kind of uh we have basically like a mini chase scene right where uh the cars are chasing the batmobile and he's he's using the ridiculous gadgets to uh to avoid them and I guess because, like, you know, once you're in the in the Batmobile, you might as well get a tour of the Batcave, right? So um, that was great, right? He's like, just take this random guy who I've mm-hmm. admired years before and know nothing about. Uh, but no, I mean, I'm kidding. I mean, I really love this episode, so I sound like I'm being more snarky than I mm-hmm. than I should be. But it was so sweet. Did you catch there was a quick? It was like just a like I don't know half a second when they get to the Batcave. 
he takes off a blindfold. So he yeah, was yeah. blindfolded. Uh, so, oh yeah. So you know he he loves the gray ghost, but uh, you only you only trust the gray ghost so much, right? Right. <laughs> uh, slash, you know, some information is dangerous to have. I just um, realized the whole problem, like modern Batman, it's like he's got to have like a GPS fuzzer also, and like an mm-hmm. inertial dampener, and like all these things you'd have to do. You know, all right, give me your smartphone. No, the yeah. one in your sock. <laughs> give me your Fitbit. No, that thing to come on the, the hat. Yeah. Let's just just be naked, and I'm going to do a cavity check because otherwise you're going to be able to track me. I think the answer is you don't have a lot of people over. So yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. we'll meet at your place. It's all right. Yes. Um, let's let's ca- less cavity searching. Yeah. Then. Do you have a do you have a, a spooky rooftop we can hang out on? That's my That'd favorite. That's right. Um, exactly. You know, somewhere near oh, a Starbucks. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so and and he does uh, he shows him that he he also has a great ghost merchandise shrine, which I think is kind of funny because it's in the Batcave, like it's not yeah. in it's not upstairs in his study or somewhere. It's like nope, it's in the Batcave, and apparently a lot of the Batcave is uh, modeled off of the like, great ghost has some kind of lair uh, that we don't see, but it's, it's in the show. So, Which is great echoes of it too, and of course it's funny because the guy obviously is like a, a George Reeve and a Superman, and mm-hmm. some level it's like the guy didn't create the gay gray ghost; he was just the actor. And so Bruce Wayne's like, "I love the whole thing." And it's like, well, that was really the writers. We don't yeah. hear him say that. It's like, no, yeah, no it's that was horrible. that was just one of several roles I did. Um, that's right. Like, and, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not actually with into the cave. it. Yeah, you know, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's a. I kind of had some echoes of. Uh, the you know Leonard Nimoy and the I am not Spock books. Uh, and, That's right. Or uh, Kathy Bate in um, Bates in the yeah the movie Misery. Right. That's what this could have turned into, but unfortunately did not. I you know I think if you you gotta you gotta be careful if it's Batman. So like oh yeah yeah, yeah I love the Gray Ghost too. This is great. Oh my gosh, you built this after this whole thing that uh, we built out of paper mache. Okay, you're not gonna kill me here in this. Cave. Okay, shoo. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> right. Yeah. So at this point, we use some technology instead of doing something old-timey, and they scan the car that they recovered uh, for fingerprints, and we have the kind of twist that the only fingerprints on it are Trent's fingerprints. <gasps> now, I didn't, you know, I like this episode. I think it totally fits together. I wasn't really sure if we as the audience were supposed to be confused by that. If, if so, I felt like they didn't totally execute that particularly well because we had seen, like, a silhouette of this exactly. mind, and And we had also seen... Like the Grey Ghost and Trent had both been places when the little race cars were whizzing around, so it didn't really seem like a plausible fake out uh, to the audience. But maybe, it, so maybe it's simply supposed to be that that Batman is um, is is confused by this. Um, yeah, but, I think we had the super reserver position, so we, they yeah. already told us most of what was going on, even if we didn't know the exact person. I think it's supposed to be his emotional journey, and so he suddenly he feels temporarily betrayed. Oh my God, I brought this by the guy to the Batcave. I admired. The role he played, maybe I was confused. Maybe he's not a good man after all. These are my headcanon of this. Um, so we get that without us. I don't think they're trying. They, they obviously weren't trying to fool us because they gave us too much information. Mm-hmm. And then the and the conclusion is they figure out that the the Mad Bomber's secret identity is that he is the toy collector that Trent has been selling his memorabilia to, uh, who's named Ted. Um, and so there, there's somewhat of a perfunctory uh, culminating scene where yeah. Batman confronts. Um, I was like, "This episode's almost over, right? What's yeah, going yeah. on here?" And I was like, "Because like they haven't wrapped this up yet." And the answer is that the wrap up is very brief, uh, where Batman shows up at the, uh, I guess, in the back room, and the the toy collector uh, slash Mad Bomber 
he gets like he gets a, uh, a decent sized villain monologue about like how obsessed he is with toys and the toys are really great and there are little cars whizzing around Batman's feet menacingly and uh, and then uh, Trent basically as the Grey Ghost busts in through a window to I guess kind of save Batman one more time yeah um, but it's very perfunctory because basically like he swings in hits Trent or sorry Trent hits uh, Ted the, the toy collector like a shelf gets knocked over. Uh, computers are made of explosives in, yep. in, in fictional media. So, uh, you know, like one thing falls on a computer and then the, the entire building starts blowing up. And, you know, he is a mad bomber. Presumably he has a lot of explosives that have not been properly stored. Uh, so they all run away as the entire building is leveled, uh, taking all of his toys uh, with him. Um, yeah, so that that was, I mean, I, I think it kind of works because the, the mad bomber is not, He's kind of a silly villain, um, right? He's not a, he's not in it to kill Batman. He does not have an elaborate death trap set for the bat for Batman. Um, he is so the 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 Ted the toy collector is um, voiced uh, by Bruce Tim and is actually designed to look like Bruce Tim, which I find amusing. <laughs> the, the creator of Batman the Animated Series or one of the That's creators, great. Um, and he's just like it's to me it's amusing because there are like. There are lots of other DC supervillains who are like obsessed with toys and are much more kind of maniacal, right? I mean, the jo- yeah, Joker yeah. sometimes uses toys. There's a classic Superman villain, recurring villain, who's uh, the Toy Man, who uses all kinds of horrible toys for his. I plot. really hate those characters, um, but I don't, yeah, I do not really care for them, and they also feel like there's there's a lot of them, and they kind of overlap with each other. Uh, the Trickster, who is uh, in the live action uh, pl- played by Mark Hamill, like. There's a lot of like I feel like there's there's a lot of variations on kind of the same theme and I don't super like that theme that much slash I feel like you know the Joker's got it covered um, we don't need seven other uh, knockoffs of the Joker so in some ways it's like maybe the scene is very short and abrupt but maybe it didn't need to be any longer because basically you know by showing up Batman causes the whole plan to collapse um, and and the, the villain is captured. Yeah, Ted um, gets his comeuppance. All yeah. his, all, you know. So this is the moral of the story: is collecting stuff is bad yeah, because dangerous. all of Obsession all material. Yeah, <laughs> possession is bad. Um, material objects are all transitory. Everything we are is ephemeral, dust to dust. Now that's clearly what this episode I, is about. I, I don't think that's the message. So. Oh, all right. <laughs> so. um, though I do, but I do like. I think the, the the neatness of it is by creating this very this this seemingly sympathetic villain, giving us a little insight mm-hmm. to maybe what's going on. Like, Batman and Grey Ghost have their respective um, emotional journeys and then meet up and then kind of have this great, um, uh, wonderful, uh, wrapped up closure. If it had been a you know traditional villain or had a bigger thing there, then you're focused on the yes. villain and their stupid characteristics <laughs> rather <laughs> than this is guy. Like, I like a lot of the Batman's rogues gallery. Like, you know, a common thing that some comics nerds say is that like the most inter- interesting thing about Batman is yeah, not yeah. Batman, but it's his villains because there's a lot of great Batman villains out there. Uh, and the Batman series kind of plays on that because with the number of episodes that are basically origin stories for the different villains. Mm-hmm. And that works when the villain is interesting. And this episode kind of boldly does not bother to do that at all. The villain is there because there needs to be a villain for there to be this crime that Batman and the Grey Ghost are going to solve together. But the villain is about as tacked on and uh, two-dimensional <laughs> as you can get away with because the story is not about him, right? Yeah, the story yeah, is about uh, the Grey Ghost. A, um, a mechanism. This rem- in a parallel universe, we were talking about The Tick recently, uh, Tony and I and Jason Snell. And um, this just reminds me, though, this is very much like the Idea Man in the first episode. It's like, 
what what's this all about why are you blowing things up it's like well we wanted money because money buys stuff so we're threatening to blow stuff up and i was like that's basically what this guy's like i needed money to buy more toys 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 yeah, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have a thing where uh, he was bit by a radioactive toy, where his radioactive his parents toy. were killed by anti-toys. It was a, uh, a lead-impregnated toy, and a splinter got under his skin, and it yeah. caused him to mutate. No, he just, he just wants money. He's not, like, upset. He's not, it's not out of personal vengeance on blowing up the library because the library hates toys. It's like, nope, I just, I need money. They wouldn't let me bring, they wouldn't let me bring my toy fire truck into the library. I'll show them. Why did he blow up the bank, though? Wouldn't you want to just take all the money from the bank instead of blowing up the bank there are holes in this theory i'm fully on board with uh his plan is stupid because he's stupid and not that it's bad writing i just i think he's just no, not exactly. a great villain uh, <laughs> no I, I think that's true too i think it's it's a but it's so yeah it's a beautifully it is absolutely a beautifully constructed story in that it is as with many of these episodes is very spare they didn't put anything they needed uh, anything else they needed into it all the scenes there's not a lot there's very little talking there's not a lot of exposition needed. Everything's painted in quick, um, dark strokes and with some really good action and some great emotional resonance and like neck through it as you get the, the characters, you know, Adam West and, and um, actually, who's the guy that's the voice of Batman? Why did I know that? That's Kevin, terrible. Kevin Conroy. Oh, Kevin. Well, he's yeah. wonderful. He's a wonderful Batman. The two of them have great. Uh, I don't know if it's funny. It was one of those animation things. I don't know if these were recorded together. I know some shows. That was a hallmark in some of the I think probably recorded. back then, maybe not. I feel like that, I, that's, like, that's become a thing a little bit more. I think it's still pretty uncommon. Uh, certain but, shows like yeah, Futurama, for instance, were I all think, recorded together. I think comedy, it, it comes up more um, because of the, the timing yeah. and the riffing and things like that. But I think probably for this, pro- they probably not. But I am not saying that with any knowledge or No, but they, they had good all. chemistry is what yeah. I would say is I felt like it was actually, it was real interaction. It wasn't sort of like. You say, I say, you say, I say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a, it was like a perfectly tight, beautifully structured front to end episode that just like, again, despite being so sort of tight and structured, I feel like um, it just had, it was just so at the end, I was just like, ah, oh, that was so good. It was so fulfilling and rewarding. And it, it's partly because, you know, the villain gets her just, just resorts, desserts. And then, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't do the coda, which is of course that um, Trent uh, winds up being Batman lets Trent essentially take the stage mm-hmm. and this helps revive his career and we get a people magazine cover <laughs> very very bad looking people yeah magazine cover. not 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 great art there um <laughs> but yes so the, the basically i guess it, this is one of those like i'm not going to delve into that but like what are the legal implications here when the only existing copies are in his personal possession but somehow yeah. uh the gray ghost is being rebroadcast or available on vhs there's a licensing. Yeah. I, can, I can. Oh, so here's where we do the 10 minutes about copyright, right? I'll oh, go into that now. Oh, um, I notice I'm looking at an image of that people cover, mm-hmm. and the headline above it is Matt Hagen, the man of a million faces, oh, which is a reference. beautiful touch. Yeah. yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. These shows, they really did a good job of uh, leveraging and, and um, like, uh, I felt like, the, I mean, a lot of the episodes were freestanding, but they did a nice job of making you feel like you're in one universe, yes. one space. Um, and the, uh, you know, the, the Grey Ghost stuff sticks around for a while. I've been watching uh, a bunch of Batman Beyond recently. And uh, in the, the, there is like this parallel where uh, Terry McGinnis, who's the, who's Batman and Batman Beyond, is like leaving a movie theater with his father in kind of a crime alley kind of parallel. Uh, oh. though, it blow, though it plays out slightly differently. And they're leaving a Grey Ghost movie. Um, oh, that's great. Which is just kind of an Easter egg in the background, but a slightly less of an Easter egg. There, there's a, a a recent episode I watched 
where uh, a villain who's fighting the future Batman uh, is able to follow him back to the Batcave and old elderly Bruce Wayne is there. And because uh, Bruce Wayne doesn't want his identity to be uh, known, he quickly grabs and puts on the gray ghost hat and goggles to hide his identity as he's helping uh, Terry McGinnis fight this, uh, this uh, villain who snuck, who snuck into the Batcave. Uh, so it's like they, you know, and that's stuff that chronologically takes place many, many years later, but even in animation production is, uh, you know, eight years later, they're still like that. They, they know that that's a thing. Right. And that it's, they like hilarious. the episode too. Yeah. Um, I, I should, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, cross promote an episode of a foot, another episode of another uh, podcast in the incomparable network that I uh, host often, um, where David, uh, Lore, uh, Monty, Ashley, and myself, uh, because we're, uh, like I say, a thousand years old, we talked about 1930s and 1940s radio shows that we mm-hmm. listened to as as children. How did we do that? That's um, not, uh, not in the 1930s, presumably. But. Uh, sure. <laughs> Looks nervously around uh, for exits. Um, so we talked about a lot of uh, those were old mystery shows and The, the Shadow and um, The Whistler and all these kind of great, uh, you know, noir. Like, I mean, noir was the big thing and um so we talk about a lot of shows so if you're interested in in uh the contemporary or the stuff that was contemporary on the radio including kind of gray ghost like characters um that yeah. episode recorded last summer i think we, what we was were, funny of course oh. is my dad listens to, or saw we were doing this listens to it and he's like he's like man i should have been on that i'm like you should have you actually like listened to that stuff in the 40s when you were a child and of course radio why didn't i have i may have to go back and do an episode with uh with some people who are actually alive at the time living this you know narrative mm-hmm we will link to that in the show notes. That's the oh, thing people do on podcasts. Thank you. Yes. So, a foot. Yeah. Glenn, anything else that we should say about uh, Beware the Grey Ghost or Batman Animated Series? Uh, I would just say that in my memory, and I think you've been able to confirm this because you've been rewatching and you have a more contemporary uh, memory mm-hmm. of it. Um, while there are great episodes like this, it was a pretty consistent series is my recollection. And I don't feel like, uh, well, you're going to watch the 10 or 11 best episodes and then the other there are 40 or something like there's tons right mm-hmm. um in this in this particular segment right and then there's the multiple series but batman the animated series i recall it being on the whole very good um some quite exceptional some maybe a little more you know tedious or whatever and um uh so i don't think you can go wrong by maybe rewatching the whole yeah thing. i i've rewatched it several times now and i mean i think there's probably five episodes i do not like uh which is pretty good i will tell you i'm also rewatching. i'm just I'm just reliving the '90s right now in, in a repeated cycle, which is uh, good and bad. But uh, I'm watching uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation again, and oh. have been also recently rewatching uh, X Files, which I did not see all of back when it aired. Uh, and the the ratio of good to bad episodes in early Star Trek: The Next Generation is is a very different mathematical formula. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I, my yeah, my older son is about to turn 13, and he's never really watched Star Trek or Doctor Who and these other things. He he and my uh, younger kid are both a little um, anxious about like when they see stuff, they can read anything actually at, mm-hmm. a, rel- at a relatively young age, like Harry Potter and things with death and whatever. But um, they had a great difficulty watching anything that was uh, that had stress or anxiety, even like people arguing on a screen, whether it was cartoon or real action. And, and then if violence happened or if someone was threatened, it was even worse. And they've slowly gotten over it. My older son, much more so. And he's like, you know, I'd like to watch Star Trek. I'm like, Oh, that's great. I'm like, well, I don't want to start you with the original series because it's far too sexist. And, and dated, and I want more context for it. So mm-hmm. we should probably start with Next Generation. And in Deep Space Nine, arguably the best series, but I have to go rewatch that too. At some point, maybe I'll rewatch that with him. I will However, tell you, I, yes. I, I have to say, so I'm just totally 
derailing you here. Which derail is me? Yeah, uh, I did not like Deep Space Nine when I was that age, uh, which is when Deep Space Nine was first airing. Uh, I can totally I, understand and that. I, but yeah. then I went back and watched it all. I think I think early years of grad school, college, and I was like, what What was wrong with me back then? Uh, oh, that's good advice. I may so, keep in mind, but I'm looking at Next Generation. And I'm yes. like, oh yeah, we should start with that. I'm like, well, we're not going to start with season one because I, then you won't want to watch that, it. But yeah, that's... and then I'm like, I'm like, you're not going to start with season two. Like, we're going to start watching with season three. And he's like, really? I'm like, we'll start watching season three. Then we'll go back after you've watched all the good stuff. And we will get through season one and two, so you're you've got completism. But I really, I don't feel like. I mean, season one particularly. It's not. If I just think it yeah. will turn you off. I don't think yeah. you want to watch a show after. If that. you so, if you don't know where it's going, it would be a real oh, real hard geez. path to go. Yeah, so um, like I, watch... I watched it again because like I know what this is going towards, but that would be right not sustainable as a like. I'm doing this and I'm unsure what's going to happen. So. I don't think I've watched some of those episodes since they first aired because some of the the you know the the uh, racist uh, Tasha Yar yep. being captured thing was just, that is just, that shocked me at the time. And now I just look back and I'm like, how? Wow. I guess the writers were on strike and so were the uh, people with paste or something. Yeah. Uh, I've seen them. This show, this, ba- <laughs> so. this Batman show though, will yeah. not steer you wrong. It is so much, you know, it's also, they're also bite-sized nuggets. I mean, these episodes are so, what are they? Tw- are they even 22 minutes? I think with, not- with the credits and everything. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. you can so you, zip I, through I, these. I sometimes skip the opening credits, even though the opening, the opening uh, animation is awesome. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're a very tight 22 minutes. So, you know, you, you can watch three of them in an hour if you're quick. So yeah. Stop wasting your life. Watch all of these people. So. Yeah, stop wasting your life and go get in your bat cave and watch all this TV. Uh-huh. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's easy to get now. Mm-hmm. I watch a lot of them at the gym also because uh, oh. they're easy to follow. They're very visual. Uh, so if, if the, you know, sometimes it's noisy and it's so the hearing dialogue is hard. Uh, but animation, you can always easily, very easily follow the story from the visuals. Um, so, well, Glenn, I think we should probably wrap things up. Um, You've given us a lot to think about, and uh, I really appreciate that you joined us here on Batman University, uh, and that you told us lots of Glenn Glenn Lovell stories, uh, which I knew I was going to get. So that was great. Uh, thank you very much. I try to be a cautionary tale and an inspiration at the same time, as well as I can. Every day, Glenn. That's what you are. <laughs> thank you, Tony. All right. Good night, nerds. Well, nerds, that's been eight episodes. And oh, oh, wait, didn't I also promise we were going to talk about the uh, Batman movie, Mask of the Phantasm? I totally did. So next week, we'll be back for a bonus episode with not just one guest, but a panel to talk about the animated movie, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Bye.